This is Packer and Durham on ACCN and Sirius XM Channel 371. D1 Baseball's lead singer and driver of the proverbial Winnebago is Aaron Fitt, and he joins us this morning with a sharp Cape Cod Baseball League hat on this morning. Uh, First of all, I know that your life changed yesterday professionally after 12 noon when NC State didn't make the bracket. Uh, you've, and I saw you tweet this, that in 18 years of su- steadily covering college baseball, you don't think you've ever seen an omission like this. How? Why did NC State not make this event, Aaron? Yeah, this one just knocked me off my feet a little bit, guys. I mean, uh, because everyone thought they were a lock. That's what made this so wild. I mean, you know, it's just the profile of a team that, that goes above 500 and, and we use the term aggregate play in ACC. You combine the regular season in the conference tournament with, a, with an RPI, you know, in the low 30s. I mean, it's just a no-brainer, you know, and uh, we all had him as a two-seed. I think everyone out there who does these projections, we had him as a two-seed. We probably had 10 teams behind them that still made it, you know, in the, in the field. Um, and so that's why this was so surprising. I mean, a lot of times there's, there's there's a mild surprise or there's some teams on the bubble that could go either way. And this was the toughest bubble ever, you know, I mean, because there were so many upsets in the conference tournaments. Uh, there were a lot of these that could have gone either way. And, and you could talk yourselves in circles on a lot of them. And there's no necessarily right or wrong answer. But NC State wasn't even on the bubble, you know, for all of us. They were they were just in. So uh, I don't know why they were left out. I mean, you know, it, it just the, the committee did a good job defending it. I'll give them some credit. You can poke some holes in the resume. Um, you know, when it comes to the conference series, they only won four out of ten. Uh, they won one series against the regional team. Non-conference, you know, wasn't great. But all that said, there's got to be some more respect, I think, for going 17 and 16 in the ACC, with a, you know, and getting what you need to get with the RPI. Those two things, uh, that's all that should really matter when you come down to it. Aaron, we put up a tweet on the screen when you were talking, and we just talked with Dan McDonald of Louisville about this. The representation, or lack thereof, for the ACC on the selection committee, how much of this do you think is a result of that, the lack of representation for the ACC? It's a factor, and it's not supposed to be. You know, everyone always says it's, you know, we're out here just putting together the best field, and, um, you know, we're not supposed to argue for the teams in our conferences or the teams that we represent if we're an AD, but uh, we know that politics play in, and it's been like this forever. You see it every year. You know, I mean, guys are, are fighting for their friends. You know, they're not supposed to, but they do. Guys are fighting for their conferences. Uh, and I just think not having a voice in the room, it matters. I mean, look at last year with Notre Dame. You win the ACC by four and a half games. That's so loud. I mean, this is a power conference. This isn't some, you know, middle of the pack league. It's the ACC. You win that league by four and a half games and you don't get a top eight seed. And then a year later, mm. you know, you go, what they go, 18 and 12 this year in the league with a 12 RPI? Right. That's a no-brainer host resume. I mean, it's not even close. I don't care about the rest of the metrics. That's a host. And then they get sent packing again. So it's just, you know, the league does not have a seat at the table, and it's a problem. Aaron, I want to go to – and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to point at Grand Canyon here, okay? I, I, because the whack is the whack, no offense, uh, but they're 50 in the RPI, and they get an at-large here. Where in their resume do they get in a, a, ahead of NC State? I'll just – I'll use that as the placeholder. The card holder, if you will. You know, that one I thought was an interesting case because they had a very 
I mean, it's a fascinating year, right? I mean, 25 and 5 in the league. It was utter domination. They also went out and played some good teams in the non conference. They swept the two game series against Texas Tech. There are a few other things like that. They went out and played people. They played Oregon State, I believe, a couple times and, and beat them once. I mean, you know, they, they really challenged themselves. They did everything you could possibly do as a whack team, shy of winning the automatic bid. And so I actually didn't have a problem with them getting in. I had a bigger problem with Ole Miss getting in over, over NC State because they're, they're comparable. They're in similar leagues. Uh, the metrics, you know, across the board really favored NC State. They had a better RPI. They had a better record in their league. They had a better top 50 record. Uh, and then Ole Miss gets the nod instead after going 0-1 in their conference tournament. You know, NC State goes 3-1, and reaches the finals. That just, you know, it, it should mm. matter more. And so uh, it didn't in this case. And that, that was the one that really puzzled me. Well, I think one of the problems, Aaron, is the circular logic of Ole Miss has serious wins over LSU and Auburn, and those two teams are both hosting. Well, should they be? I mean, that's the also the committee's decision, right? So... Uh, it's tough there, but I mean, talking about Grand Canyon, I think that's a fascinating example to talk about the RPI, which is theoretically the jumping off point for this committee. Um, we've talked a lot about how in hoops and in football, you have better options when it comes to predictive metrics than the RPI. But in sports like lacrosse and baseball, it seems like we really don't. How do you feel about the RPI as the place where we start this? Yeah, I think something needs to change. You know, we've been saying this for a long time, but um, it's flawed. It's a flawed metric. And, you know, you've got teams really going out of their way to manipulate the system now, canceling games, of course, that they know are going to hurt them, even if they win the game. And we shouldn't be, you know, we shouldn't be in a situation where teams have an incentive not to play, you know, because even if you win, it it hurts you. And whether that means, you know, the committee needs to, to start um, – Maybe you just you take the, t- the worst four games on your schedule from an RPI's perspective. You just take them out. Take them out of the equation so that at least we're evaluating more of the top end of the resume and not the bottom end. Because it is right now, if you play a team that's 8-40, and 40, um, or like UC Riverside, I hate to keep picking on these guys, but I mean they crushed UCLA's RPI. UCLA had a great year. You know They finished high in the Pac-12, uh, but they played three games early against UC Riverside, who turned out to be way worse than anyone maybe expected them to be. And it just dragged you way down disproportionately in the RPI. And I just don't think it represents how good a team is. So uh, I'd love to see another system altogether come in. I don't know what it is. You know, there's the, the Boyd's, uh, Boyd's World ISR rating system. I know some people like that. I don't know <laughs> enough about that one. Uh, but we could do better than what we got right now. It's just not, it doesn't work great. Aaron, I want to go big picture here. 64 teams, nine from the ACC. We know that four of them are hosting. Who do you like out of this conference based on what you saw in Charlotte last week to advance to Supers? And can you pencil one or two to head to Omaha out of this? Boy, I mean, right now, you, you got to like what you're seeing from North Carolina. And I didn't think I'd be saying that a month ago. Uh, but they just look like a buzzsaw right now. It's really amazing. The offense is, is red hot, of course. Uh, you've got a superstar with, with Vance Honeycutt and but there's a lot of really good players in that lineup. I just think the pieces fit together well. The, the, the quote-unquote role players, uh, they do their jobs very well. they got guys that come off the bench as they need them. Um, and, you know, they have maybe just enough pitching. Uh, that was my concern with this team is especially starting pitching. For, for a lot of the season, they weren't getting any length out of those guys. But now you're getting some, some length out of Max Carlson and Brandon Schaefer, who really turned in a, uh, the best performance by, by far of the week against Virginia Tech. A complete game shutout against that buzzsaw of an offense in that ballpark blew yeah. me away. Uh, that was amazing. But, you know, and they've got a good bullpen. So 
I, I like their draw. I think it sets up okay. They got kind of a soft number two seed, frankly, in Georgia, a team that I loved in the preseason, uh, but really stumbled down the stretch. It played terrible baseball late and so we'll see if they can get going or not but um, I think it sets up okay for the Tar Heels for sure so that, that's one that jumps out and you know I know you just had Dan McDonald on the show I, I do think Louisville uh, with their offenses you know it's gonna be an offensive regional you got some teams there that can swing the bats uh, but not necessarily yeah. a lot of great pitching you know Oregon I, I love their offense it's a really athletic lineup but it's got some depth it's got some power but uh, it's it's you know it's a team that's, that's built a little bit like Louisville offensively but doesn't have as good of arms as Louisville has not, not not that Louisville has elite arms, but they've got better arms. So I think that's a team that it's set up pretty well for them in, in that in that field. And um, I know they didn't play well last week. 0-2 is kind of a typical <laughs> typical Louisville showing in the conference tournament, but it doesn't seem to matter because they, they have a habit of getting to Omaha. Yeah. All right. This Great stuff as always. Show. Always good to see you. Aaron. Yeah. Go ahead, Drew. I was just yeah. going to ask about Tennessee. Real quick, Aaron, is Tennessee beatable, you think? Because they're kind of looming over this entire thing. Yeah, I mean, they're beatable. Everyone's beatable. You know, I mean, we've seen teams, Oregon State went 54-4, and four, you know, one year, 2017, and didn't win at all. And you had that Vanderbilt team that went 26-3 and three in the SEC, didn't win at all. I mean, usually the best team doesn't win at all. It's it's the hottest team. But, boy, they're right now, I mean, they're just still a buzzsaw. They just ran their way through the, the SEC tournament. And, yeah. um, you know, Georgia Tech, though, watch out. I mean, this is an offensive club that has a ton of power. That yard, it's a home run hitter's park. You never know. They could go in there and make some noise. Yeah. Hey, uh, Aaron, thank you as always. I uh, know you got a full plate for the next three or four weeks, so I appreciate you working us in. All right, guys. My pleasure. You bet. Aaron Fit, D1Baseball.com. They do a terrific job covering the game. When we come back, uh, Jenny Levy. Eh, what'd she do Sunday? Eh, won a national championship. Sure. Women's lacrosse. Carolina is the undefeated queen of the sport, and we will talk to the coach of the Tar Heels when we continue. Packer and Durham rolls on a Tuesday on ACC Network. The Packer and Durham Podcast. This is the Packer and Durham Podcast. Packer and Durham. Jenny Levy's walk-up music is Eminem. See, look at Carter with the head bob. Enough of these oldies, man. We've got Leonard Skinner. I like Bruce Springsteen, but come on now. A little Eminem. All right. <laughs> uh, Jenny Levy from Chapel Hill in moments. Uh, thanks to Aaron Fit for the time. I know he's got a full plate. Likewise, Dan McDonald. Uh, coming up, John Shire here in about, oh, 15 minutes or so uh, from Duke. And we will talk to the head basketball coach of the Blue Devils uh, about a handful of things. Um Hey, real quick here, Drew, anything Aaron Fit say catch your eye here? I like what he said about Georgia Tech with a chance against Tennessee, um, obviously considering we're on ACC Network. But I just appreciate the honesty and the candor, and I go back to what Dan McDonald said. We need people like Aaron Fit to put this kind of in the conscience of the national baseball world and saying, hey, it's a problem yeah. that the ACC doesn't have representation. Is it the best conference in baseball? Maybe you can make a really good argument. So why don't they have an AD on the committee? Why has it been five years? Uh, I think that's a really astute point from Aaron, and I'm glad he brought it up yesterday and brought it up this morning. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about that. And uh, I think that conversation is one that needs to take place for sure, especially 
there are always things in these sports, and it can be basketball, baseball, the ones where we talk about committees. Lacrosse already said, I think, what happened there this year will be a spark to next year, things of that nature. The women's basketball committee and the five seeds this year that I keep going back to, to me, that's a moment now that'll be that'll be really focused upon. That committee will now know that 5-4 thing is a real thing, and I'm sure they did when they made it, but at the same time, that's an area they've got to focus on. There's always one or two that come out of this that ultimately, I think, push to the next year, and I'm optimistic that one of those – is uh, is going to be the way the RPI is stated or the way teams play in their league or what does the baseball committee do about it? And the other thing, quite frankly, is this hosting thing, Drew, to your point yesterday, has become competitive. And when it becomes competitive like it is, then the default has to be the better team, does it not? I mean, I understand the dollars are important and the NCAA needs help from the membership to support the organization. But at the end, is it not the is it not the better team? Don't you qualify? Don't you have the kind of season representative of hosting? Theoretically, that's what it should be. Uh, but this is now two years where Notre Dame has gotten the short end of the stick from a hosting perspective. Last year, like Aaron said, I love the way he put it, four and a half games above anyone else in the ACC. That's a hosting, a super resume. And they didn't. And they had to go to Starkville for a super. This year, yeah. you're 12 or 13 in the RPI. You're 18 and 12 in the ACC on aggregate. That's a hosting resume. And they're not. They're going to yeah. Statesboro. And then they have to play Tennessee in a super potentially, unless Georgia Tech or someone in the Knoxville Regional upsets the Vols. So, yeah, mm-hmm. it, it goes beyond just the field of 64. You're talking the field of eight, the field of eight and the field of 16, where it's just not right. Um And I don't know, Wes, if it's just because we've got the ACC goggles on or what, but think about all the sports we've talked about where it just feels like it's not right with the committee. Women's hoops, men's hoops, really, with Notre Dame being put in Dayton and having to win a game there before moving on to the first round where they beat Alabama, a six seed for what it's worth. Uh, Lacrosse Mm -hmm. and now baseball. I don't know. Maybe we're just too deep in in the ACC conscience here, and we're just looking at it from our perspective. But it feels like uh, these committees don't like the ACC for whatever reason. I mean, women's hoops, yeah. three five seeds were from the ACC, right? And they could all have had a case to be hosting those first couple of games. Right. Uh, so I don't know. It's just it's, it's a string, and it's probably coincidental. Co- coincidental, I'm sure it is. I don't have my tinfoil hat on here, but it's been a rough couple of years for the ACC with selection committees. Yeah, the only one that didn't make the five of the three, Virginia Tech did not advance in the tournament. They were upset in a 12-5 game at Maryland. Uh, to me, what Notre Dame did at Oklahoma and what North Carolina did at Arizona – and their respective marches to Sweet 16s was really impressive. Now, the, the scenario with lacrosse is just out of control, just like the one in baseball is. There's no logic applicable, you know, except for, and you noted earlier, the, and Aaron said as well, the non-conference strength of schedule is one thing. There's nothing about Notre Dame in lacrosse that you think they, gotta, they don't go. I mean, just like with NC State. So... That part of it has to be more clearly defined if they're not going to allow the. And those decisions are all coming back downhill in this particular athletic season on the ACC. And that's something that uh, we got to keep in mind as well. 
Uh, hoping to get Jenny Levy connected here in just moments. Okay. In fact, we've got Jenny uh, from Chapel Hill this morning. So let's welcome the coach of the national champion, Tar Heels, to uh, Packer and Durham. Jenny, good morning. Congratulations. Uh, good morning. I, Thanks I, I for having me. Here. I, oh, are you kidding? It's our pleasure. I want to start here. Uh, everything looks good. You got a two-goal lead. Then it gets cut to one. And then all of a sudden, Charlotte North has got the ball in, her, in, the, in the stick. And I don't know, maybe 10 meters out, somewhere like that. And it's late in the game. And all of a sudden, there's going to be a shot. Do you just kind of hold your breath one last time for Taylor Marino to make the save? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, first of all, Charlotte North's an incredible player, um, just an electric offensive player that demonstrates, you know, new limits to the game. Um, but we also have Emma Trenchard on her and Taylor Marino in the cage. So yeah. um, she's got to get through two superhero layers that we have, um, Emma and Taylor, and then obviously the rest of our defense. But yeah, you do hold your breath when she has the ball because she's so dynamic and can make so many things happen on the field. Um, when I saw that last I, shot not make it to the back of the cage, I was really happy. Yeah, I want to I want to follow up quickly here, Drew. On I want to follow up on this yeah, on this thought, Jenny. I said yesterday um, I, I thought that game, and granted, mm-hmm. you guys were victorious and and richly deserving of a national championship. I thought that game in particular showcased what this sport has been trying to do for the last couple, three years, and it's continuing to ascend. And we've talked with you about the sport and its rise. But for that game to be shown on that stage in front of that crowd, 48 hours later, does it feel like it was a sport changing or an elevating of women's lacrosse in this country? We hope so. I think the whole season um, has has been, there's just been a lot of excitement around around the sport. I know when we played up at Boston College in regular season, there were 6,000 people that came out for a regular season game. Um, you know, all of these games have been really well attended this season. I think it's a combination of not COVID ending, because obviously we're still struggling as a, as a world with, with this pandemic, but um, people are excited to come out. Um, and watch, you know, get back out with their families to do things that are fun, um, watching women's lacrosse. I think we continually need to clean up our rules and streamline it. But to be at Homewood Field with 8,500 plus people, um, the historic Homewood Field where so many great games have taken place um, on the men's side, um, to have that packed on ESPN for the first time. Can't wait to see what the viewer, viewer numbers were from that. Hopefully we'll see them soon. Um, but I just think there's so much momentum right now for our sport and for our players, which is really exciting. Well, I'm, I'm proudly a prisoner of the moment. And I've said a couple times, Coach, over the last two days doing this show that that was the greatest lacrosse game I've ever seen. Uh, considering what Wes just laid out with, you know, the platform and the sellout, considering the characters on this stage, yourself and Acacia included, and then the players, some all-time greats. Considering the, the recent series history between you guys in BC and the past couple championship weekends, and then you guys getting over that hump, uh, does that sound right to you? Like, where does this rank in games you've coached in terms of all the circumstances? Yeah, it does sound right. And the reason why it does is because, you know, it, it's no fun to have one team that just dominates everybody all the time. And, and, 
you know, we have a healthy respect for Boston College and, and their players and their coaching staff and what they've accomplished um, over the past five or six years. And, you know, I, I love the rivalry. Um, it brings out the best in, in both teams and players. Um, and, you know, I think consistently, you know, having great rivalries that can showcase the game and its players at the highest level um, brings in a lot of fans and a lot of little girls who are looking up to these incredible student athletes and their talent, but also who they are off the field too. They, you know, we were at a dinner on, I think Thursday night and, you know, this, this little, the restaurant owner said, Hey, can my daughter come and say hi to your team? And we said, yeah, sure. And she's little, she was like first grade. And next thing we know, we had like a whole team waiting in the restaurant for our team. And they just wanted to come and get autographs and, and I'm thinking, my guys just wanted to have dinner, but they stopped what they were doing and, and spent the time with these little guys to be the future of our sport. So there's a lot of great things happening, and so many people at the college level are contributing in all the different programs. It, it feels like um, this particular team of yours uh, set out to accomplish something, Jenny, that in the end they got to achieve. I mean, going undefeated, winning a national championship, uh, the long streak. People talked about the undefeated streak all the way through the season, stuff like that. Then you get to, you know, you get to Friday and it's in the balance now. I mean, that that's a real, that's a gut check deal, okay, in the fourth quarter. But what did you learn about your team this weekend that you already didn't know about this particular group? Um, not much. Um, I think... <sighs> Obviously, Friday's game was one of the most epic. I know it's an overused word, but um, it was an incredible game. You know, I think I thought we were going to make a run a little sooner than we did. Uh, but with seven minutes left, we started really to um, make some runs at the, at the last minute. And it just at some point, I know I know that they were tough. I know that they worked hard. I know that they have incredible like chemistry and character. But when your back's against the wall and you refuse to lose, how deep does it run? And, you know, Friday's game was a really big game for a lot of our players just because we haven't, that this particular group hasn't gotten over the, that semifinal hump. Mm. There was a lot of emotion in that group um, in the, at that moment once the game was over. And credit Northwestern for an incredible game plan, and their kids played so well. And I know um, Kelly's super proud of the effort that they gave. I think they probably didn't want to watch yesterday because they thought they could have been there and, and won it as well. Um, but it's, you know, they are kids. There's actually no surprise. I knew it was in them. I knew um, we could come out of this weekend 2-0. I think they did too. Um, they just had to prove it to themselves and trust themselves and jump and, and build their wings on the way down, as Anson says. So uh, they did that, and they finally got themselves to a place that they can look back on forever and be super proud of, of their efforts as collectively. Jenny, would you say the championship Sunday was more of a worker chicken game or uh, whatever the other one is? I, I can't remember. <laughs> worker chicken or the other one? Uh, no, it was a pure Harley day. Uh, it was a Harley day on, on Sunday. It was. Um, it, you had to go. You had to go. You know, excuse my term, but balls to the wall. You couldn't. There was nothing to be held back. You every both teams were really tired by the fourth quarter. Um, it was hot. It was emotional, and there was a lot of players, amazing collegiate players, playing their very last game on Championship Sunday. Um, so emotions were high, adrenaline was high, and, and the work rate was, was really intense. So it was a Harley day for sure. 
Uh, I'll just, I'm going to tell you this. Uh, a senior class that went 83-9, and nine, four straight Final Fours, four ACC titles, and an NCAA crown, that's a pretty good worksheet. I don't, I don't know how it all works out in the analogies that you use, but I just know that's winning. That's winning, <laughs> and it's winning big, Jenny. Yeah, I'm I'm so happy for all of our, you know, upperclassmen and our seniors, our leadership. Um, you know, th- there's a lot of teams that work hard. There's a lot of coaching staffs that work their tails off. And there's no guarantee that at the end of your journey that you'll end up with a with a national title. Um, there's a lot of great memories besides a national title. But I do think because we're in sports, we are 100 percent defined by winning and losing and um Mm -hmm. you know to to, i didn't i forgot that we were undefeated quite honestly it didn't really matter um and um it actually didn't matter people kept asking us playing bc for a third time i I, again i don't think it was as much about the opponent that we were playing more about like what we wanted to do and how we were going to get there but um just really happy for taylor marina like all of them i I don't even want to go through them because i forget i'm afraid i'll forget somebody but I also will tell you that, you know, the first, one of the first people I saw after the game was Katie Hogue um, and Katie Woodruff. And, you know, this this championship was just as much theirs and Caroline Wakefield. You know, those guys, although they didn't win a ring last year, their their legacy was left in, onto this team. And so they are very much a part of, of this championship as well. I'll tell you what, that's well said. Congratulations again. Uh, it was a terrific day to watch women's lacrosse and uh, – and you and BC gave us a hell of a show. So thank you, and uh, and be well in the off season, okay? Yeah, thanks. Thanks, you guys. Have a great summer. And he, you bet. You too. Jenny Levy, uh, head coach, Carolina's women's lacrosse team that won the national title over BC on Sunday. Thanks to Matt Bowers, uh, who handles women's lacrosse for Carolina, for helping us get her scheduled after a very, very busy Sunday. We'll take a break. John Shire, by the way, next. Uh, the head coach of the Blue Devils. Getting ready for uh, an offseason. I guess it's already underway. We'll talk to Coach Shire ahead of K Academy and more next on Packer and Durham. Packer and Durham. Here's Mark Packer and Wes Durham. All right, Packer and Durham. Drew Carter is here. Uh... Thanks to Jenny Levy, Aaron Fitt, Dan McDonald, Jacob Burke. John Shire is the uh, head basketball coach, Drew, at Duke University, as you well know. Um, And he joins us this morning from Durham. Despite the fact the Cubs are already 12 back in the central of the National League, Shire has agreed to come on this show. (laughs) There's a cheap shot. (laughs) How you doing? You good? Are you doing all right? That's not a cheap shot. shot. I'm just reading. Oh, come on. Come on. I wasn't doing that. All right. It's, it's here, here been a we struggle, go. Now, but we're good. Yeah, let's, let's it is, start it off in a good. different way. Here we go. Okay. All right, <laughs> let's do this. Um, a lot of people know that the offseason in college basketball never really stops, right? I mean, they call it an offseason, but it's not an offseason. So tomorrow, the K Academy, the fantasy camp begins. Now, for people who are not – well-educated about the academy. Can you explain kind of how this works? Because I've always found this to be one of the most intriguing aspects of the Duke basketball program. It's it's hard to explain. It's one of those things you really have to see it to believe it and understand. Uh, but, you know, people, you know, pay money. To, you have to be 35 years and older to come get the 
Duke experience and what it's like to be a, a player here. And it's four days on Sunday. It's a one-and-done tournament. You can play up to three games to win the championship. And there's a lot of intensity. A lot of foreign players are back. There's a lot of uh, getting on the, the, the officials. And uh, it's not necessarily the best basketball you've ever seen, but it is great intensity. I can tell you that much. All right, Drew, you get to follow that. <laughs> Hang on. If I'm going to follow that, I need to ask the question that's on everyone's mind. Because I'm a K Academy noob. I didn't know anything about the K Academy. You say 35 and older, John? 35 and older. Yeah. So <laughs> do you qualify, Drew? Do you qualify for that? No. 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 I do not. <laughs> so it, no, it, you I, can make it like a bucket list. You know, when you get to that point, uh, work on your skills and then come back in uh, 35. Okay. <laughs> now... Coach Shire, here, here's what I've been told. I've been told that the former players who become coaches of the teams, the personality of the player is not necessarily the personality of the coach. Would you care to maybe identify one that maybe played one way and coaches another when they get their team at the K Academy? <laughs> well, it's, it's not team. It's, it's an actual team that you get. And uh, <laughs> right. I'll tell you what, you, you got to watch out. Gene Banks is, is something else, man. When you see him coach, <laughs> it, I, I, it's again, it's one of those things you can't describe. Gene is uh, antagonizes the other coaching staffs. He's uh, getting on his players. He's getting on the opposing players where he's, you know, talking smack to them. And so uh, Gene Banks is, is a guy you got to watch. That is no shock, by the way, at all to hear that a guy that ran with Denard and Jeminski in college would be a problem on the bench. Just so you know, I just I want that clarity out there. Um, take me through what outside the K Academy, this offseason in college basketball has been unique because we're seeing a lot of players return. Uh, you've got a guy, a, a guy who's probably got to make a decision sometime today, I'm guessing, in Trevor Keels. On the whole, though, John, are you are you surprised at the return percentage of guys who maybe put their name in the draft who might be coming back as a whole in college basketball? You know, it's you're paying attention to what's happening in college basketball, but I don't know what that percentage is. It may seem like a lot. I'm not sure that it is. And, you know, you have so many different it's, – it's evolving in terms of uh, – college opportunities, professional opportunities. Uh, and so we're just trying to adapt and stay up to date with what's happening. And of course, like you mentioned with Trevor, but other players that are in this position, uh, you have good opportunities. And I think this process, you know, the NBA has done a great job of really giving uh, as accurate as information as possible. Although there's, uh, you wish you could get a guarantee and know exactly what that looks like for, any, mm -hmm. for anybody that's going through the process. Uh, but uh, we're getting close to rounding out our roster. Uh, can't wait to get our players here and get started and uh, feel really good about what we've done so far. Well, Coach, if you'd like to break some news here on Packer and Durham and tell, tell us if Trevor is <laughs> staying or going, feel free. We'd like to give you that, uh, that opportunity. And then everyone would have to credit us. That'd be awesome. <laughs> uh, but if I had any news, I, I would share it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And if I, I did have news, I'm us. not sure I would share it anyway. So <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't I wouldn't expect you to. 
I wouldn't expect you to. But let me ask you this instead, because uh, I think you can answer this. When a guy like Trevor Keels is trying to decide if he's going to stay or go, what kind of guidance are you giving him? And how has your role shifted in the last couple months going from being on the staff to now being the head guy in doing that specifically? Yeah, well, with any of our guys, just really to support them. And there's information that they get along the way. Uh, and I've been in constant communication with Trevor, just supporting him, proud of what he's done. Uh, but really, as far as the shift with role, it's, it's been very natural. You know, it's something that we prepared for this past year. Uh, I'm so excited about the staff that we have in place and, uh, mm. you know, the couple of hires we made on our coaching staff, uh, of course, returning uh, Chris Carroll and Emil Jefferson. So we're building our continuity and getting to know one another in a different way. Uh, but that's been the exciting part for me and being able to build the foundation uh, that's going to carry us forward. It's, it is a time where I, I think a lot of people feel a level of comfort, though, about you taking the reins. Is that comfort level for you? I mean, and I, I've read some things that have been written not long after the season ended about kind of how you built for this by looking ahead. Anything like meetings would be in different places from where other meetings have been just to kind of create an identity of what the next year was going to be like. So the comfort level that a lot of people are talking about really was established in some respect as you were building last year, right? Yeah, I think you, you have comfort when you have clarity. And, you know, we've been able to have that for the past year. And, you know, hopefully everyone has seen around here and will continue to see. I'm just going to be myself. So it's not like shifting mm -hmm. into a new role. You have to do anything differently other than, uh, of course, there comes more responsibility. Uh, but I feel, you know, that's what people have seen around me uh, will continue to do. Uh, we have to continue to be innovative and figure out how to be successful, not only with when you, when you lose somebody like Coach K and what he's meant to our program for such a long time, uh, but also where the college lands, landscape has changed so dramatically in the last five years, but the last year in particular. Hmm. John, you guys have put together an incredible class already. Number one, according to ESPN, you've got the top two guys in our ESPN 100 for the class of 2022. I'm curious, from your perspective, you guys obviously make a deep run. You're playing into April. When everyone knows that it's Coach K's last year, what's the balance from a recruiting approach perspective? How much is K doing? How much are you doing? How do you divvy it up on the staff? How did that work? Yeah, well, we had to do it. I mean, you know, Coach K, part of the reason the timing of the announcement happened was because he didn't feel it was right to recruit knowing he wasn't going to be here. And so our staff did a terrific job. And I think for us, it goes back to identifying the right people, first and foremost, the right players. And mm -hmm. this class we have coming in, we feel they represent Duke to its fullest. And I think they saw the opportunity, knowing we were going to lose a lot, which we did and we have. Uh, but the versatility, the, the IQ, and they're winners. And you know, they've been battle-tested, whether it's in AAU or high school. And uh, we're, getting him, we're getting most of them here next, uh, this, actually tomorrow uh, for the K Academy to mm -hmm. spend a little time together. And then we get back at it. Uh, June 19th when they come back on campus. But uh, can't wait to get them here. They're, I know they're hungry, they're excited, and it's a, it's a really special group that I'm proud to, to bring to Duke. 
Coach, it's also a time, too, where you mentioned the acclimation process of you and your staff and the folks involved in Duke basketball. When you get all these kids coming in now, the summer is as vital a time. I mean, people used to talk about September, October, the run-up to the regular season. It feels now like June and July and even early August before that last summer school break, before the fall semester begins, is also a critical piece to what a college basketball team's chemistry is going to be like. It is because you're, you're still getting to know everyone, not just I mean, basketball. It, it comes down to trust, right? And when you're on the floor, you need to mm. trust your teammates, trust your coaching staff. And how can you do that if there's not a relationship built you know, out, off the floor, off the court? And that summer really allows us to do that. You know, we have a lot of new pieces this year. We've, we've lost a lot. Uh, you know, we're losing about 75% of our team, which is, uh, it means we did something special that this past year, and we have a lot of our guys going on to be drafted high in the uh, NBA draft and other opportunities professionally. Uh, but that's, the summer is huge for that, where we can spend time, connect, and as a coach, we always find, look, we, we know these guys very well. We've seen them a lot mm-hmm. uh, in, in their high school environment. But it's different here. So you get a chance to work with them up close. Uh, you see the strides they've made not only throughout the year, but in the spring. And so uh, it's, it's a big learning process, especially in the summer. All right. A um, couple of things here before we let you go. And I appreciate the time today, uh, as you know. Um, Packers started this back not long after January. And he's in Italy for two weeks now. What he's doing in Italy, you know, John, we really can't talk about until he gets back. He's put a lot of it on social media by mistake because he said he was getting off the grid. But I'll let you deal with him later on that, okay? Uh, he started He started asking guys, coaches in particular, what their walk-up song would be. So you get called up to the plate. You got a bat. You're walking from the dugout to the bat to the batter's box. What's your walk-up song going to be? The song that kind of gets you going. It's just going to be, I'm the man. Aloe Black, I'm the man. You know, that's, that's what I want thinking in my head. I'm, I'm the man. What's, what's better than that with, you know, walking up to the plate thinking you're about to hit a home run? So that's, that's what I'm going with. I like that. That's well done. Very good. Yeah. Uh, good to see you. I hope the offseason's well. Thanks for having me. Drew, this has been a big upgrade. Hopefully... When our guy gets back from Italy, he'll, uh, he'll step up his game, all right? So thanks for having me, fellas. Hey, 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 John, before you go, I have one last question. Would you yeah. rather spend a summer day in Wrigleyville or Krzyzewskiville? That's, that's a tough one. The answer is Wrigleyville because in the summer, that's not when Krzyzewskiville is, you know, as you know, it's, it's the wintertime yeah. in Krzyzewskiville. So yeah. uh, summertime Wrigleyville, winter, uh, we're going to Krzyzewskiville. There you go. Nice. Smart uh, best answer, Marcel. Sir. Always, always, uh, always good to see you. Thank you for the time, my man. Appreciate you guys. Take care. All right. John Shire, head basketball coach at Duke, uh, father of a newborn as well, just uh, had their third child a week or so back. Congratulations to Ian Marcel. Um, so you can't can't slide them by the Duke coaches, can you, Drew? Can't slide the fastball curveball, <laughs> the Wrigleyville, Krzyzewskiville to the Duke coaches. Doesn't work that way.
It's like talking to a diplomat, Wes. You got to be very careful with the wording because they'll listen. <laughs> they'll catch every word and they'll get you. But Shire, he clearly yeah. he knows what he's doing. Yeah. How about this for a uh, last couple of months, Wes? Uh, welcome a newborn, third child, become the head coach at Duke. Uh, what a slow year for John Shire. Oh, unbelievable, right? Yeah. <laughs> and they're off to a running start. Uh, and he mentioned the staff, Chris Carowell, Jai Lucas, uh, Emil Jefferson. Uh, Mike Schrage comes over, special assistant, a guy who has long connections to Duke. Um, and the Blue Devils, as you noted, quite a recruiting class. Quite a recruiting class coming in for his first full campaign uh, in Durham. So our thanks to John Shire. When we come back, final turn, we'll update you on golf. Uh, North Carolina is into the match play. And Ryan Burnett went to a massive playoff for the individual honor. We'll show that to you next on Packer and Durham. The Packer and Durham Podcast. This is the Packer and Durham Podcast. Uh, Thanks to John Shire Duke for the time this morning. Uh, K Academy. That'd be fun. When you turn 35, Carter, you're in. K Academy. got to be the oldest uh, clientele for any basketball camp in the country, right? And sometimes prominent clientele, by the way. Uh, but uh, it sounds like fun. The KK had been doing it for years, by the way, and the stories are legendary. Uh, and the, the question about the coach was, I, I had heard that not just Gene Banks, but I've heard there are a couple of others that go through metamorphical personality changes when they get their team for the week at the fantasy camp. So anyway, thanks to John Shire. Appreciate that. And, uh, and we wish him well. A um, couple of things here. Um, they're underway with match play out in the desert in Arizona. North Carolina is playing Pepperdine today in one of the four quarterfinal matches. Uh, just a couple of different uh, pieces of the five-person matches underway. And they're even still after the first couple of holes. Ryan Burnett, a senior for Andrew DiBedetto, was uh, one of the four players that was in the uh, playoff yesterday to determine the individual medalist of the NCAA tournament. Uh, He made par at the 18th. Young freshman from Vanderbilt made the birdie. So, But uh, congratulations for Ryan Burnett for being one of those guys at Greyhawk. Carolina, the five seed. Oklahoma, the one seed. Vanderbilt, the three seed. All tied at 14 over par after the 72 holes of uh, stroke play uh, over the last four days. So they play Pepperdine. Oklahoma plays Texas. Vanderbilt, Arizona State, and Oklahoma State. Also, Oklahoma, Texas Tech. Oklahoma State plays Texas uh, later today. Um by the way, tying for first in stroke play is the best finish in Carolina's men's golf history at the NCAA championship. So uh, congratulations to, uh, to Ryan Burnett and, uh, and Carolina. Wish them well in, uh, in match play today. A couple of other notes here, Drew, before we say goodbye. And you're off to uh, uh, make amends for the uh, lack of tickets that you got yesterday at the uh, lacrosse <laughs> championship. Um, he... Uh, the ACC is uh, presenting something tonight uh, at 7 o'clock. Roddy Jones will co-host Balancing Act. The ACC salutes scholar-athletes. Uh, it puts together the best and the brightest of the league's 15-member institutions, interviews highlighting each recipient's passion for athletics and academics, as well as their thoughts on Title IX, workload balance, 
superstitions, adversity, majors, moments, and influences, and more. Uh, these are all celebrating uh, some of the ACC's 54 postgraduate scholarships uh, and the recipients. Uh, Balancing Act premieres tonight, 7 o'clock on ACC Network. And by the way, Roddy Jones co-host tonight, hosts the event tonight, and he will be our co-host on Thursday's edition of Packer and Durham with a lot of baseball scheduled. So we look forward to uh, bringing you that as, uh, as well. So there you go. How's that? Anything, anything you want to say on the way out the door after your two days here of uh, Packer and Durham, Mr. Carter? What I'd like to say, Wes, is thank you. Uh, thanks to all the behind-the-scenes people for making this easy and fun, as always. Uh, thanks to Pack for being in Italy with the family, for uh, leaving the seat open and letting me come in and fill in. And what I'd also like to say is thank you to ESPN. I love working for ESPN. There is now a screenshot <laughs> that I've been texted where – uh, Drew's biggest disappointment of May is ESPN not hooking up free tickets for lacrosse. And I would just like to say what happened there is I pinned it on the NCAA. It's not ESPN's fault. I love working here. I have no complaints about working at ESPN. That's well done. I look forward to seeing the paperwork. Uh, thanks to Drew Brooks, Casey O'Brien, uh, Lisa Friday on a Tuesday. Yes, I think so. We'll see you Thursday at 7 a.m. Best of edition tomorrow on Packer and Durham. Tune into Packer and Durham weekday mornings from 7 to 10 Eastern for the best conversations about everything from the ACC. Find it on the ACC Network, Sirius XM Channel 371, and streaming on the ESPN app.